Testing. The next day or two, I'll have the video. I just haven't had a chance yet yeah, to yeah. upload it. I'm going to wait until you give it a title. I know you always give these things a title, and then yeah. the same title on the other. Okay. So, uh, so I'll just pray, okay? And uh, pray as well. Father, mm -hmm. we just look out at the, the beauty all around us, and uh, it just makes us be in wonder at being alive. And tonight, we just want our hearts to be so still, um, as you are still, and you're content, and you're total at peace concerning us concerning your good work in the world, your good life in the world. And, and we just want to, our hearts and our minds, our thoughts to resonate with your beautiful thoughts tonight uh, concerning everything that you've given us uh, and even your life growing on the inside of us. We just give you thanks, especially for Greg tonight. Um, we, we're aware uh, of sometimes just the, the physical um, uh, pressures um, of the, the uh, timetable, but yet deep down there is a stillness and a quietness and a joy that just brings up fresh fresh water, fresh living water. And so deep calls unto deep and we just pray for Greg tonight and for each of us that those rivers of living water would just flow tonight and, and we will even in days to come look back on this night and, and marvel again at how you expanded our hearts and our understanding mm. uh, just by your grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, glory to God. Um, Man, yeah, it's awesome to be with you guys. Um, I was just thinking more of. Um, Sorry, can I just. Yeah. Start recording? No, we're already recording. You're in there. <laughs> you are. You're in there. You're in there. You've been immortalized beyond just eternal life. <laughs> I was just thinking of, you know, what, what sustains us as we walk through life in this world. Um, and not just like in the scope of ministry, although it will sustain you in ministry also, but just what, what sustains us in this world. And I was, I was thinking about um, Paul and, and what sustained Paul as he lived in the world doing what he did, right? Because um, he had some mighty exploits and he lived through a whole lot of stuff. And yet there was something that kept him the whole time. And um, I think it'd be helpful for us to know what kept him because the same thing can keep us. Yes. Right? And we can find the same grace animating our lives right? that animated his life. Because it's not like Paul is somehow better than all of us. Right? That we, we have these titles sometimes, and I think we make more of the titles nowadays than people would have. It's like we esteem Paul. And I notice we do this with the Old Testament people too. We esteem them as if they were mighty people. You know, God's mighty, and they saw God's mighty. And it's not they were faithful. No, it's that God's faithful, and they saw God was faithful. And that filled them with a supernatural strength. And, and so I wanted to, to kind of touch on how Paul viewed the gospel, because I think there's some subtle differences to, to how Paul viewed the gospel um, and the way he thought of some of these terms we read all the time in the Bible and what they meant to him. There's, there's some subtle differences to, to what I see he thought about those things and, and the way we've kind of been taught to think of those things and the way we think of them. Um, one of the most powerful things that changed my life um, was noticing the way Paul talked about faith. And I found it was completely inconsistent with the way I was taught faith. And um, 
is the subtle difference that made a gigantic, it had a gigantic effect in, in the way faith was able to work in me. From the, the way I looked at faith and the way Paul looked at faith. So we're just going to look at some things about Paul's life. And I'm sure it's going to bring up some questions. Um, and, and that'll be uh, good. But I just want to start with, um, for those of you that like to write down the verses, you can. I know sometimes I run through things real quickly to keep people from being able to write things down. No, no, God's done it on purpose, I think. And it's not bad to write things down. But I, I think the, the modern church has, has become academic and intellectual in our connection with the gospel. Right? And there's nothing wrong with taking notes. So please don't. I'm not making a law here. Right? So don't feel ashamed if you're taking notes or anything. But a lot of times I will just go through it almost to confound the, our intellects. Right? You might think you're going to take notes, but no, you're not. Right? No, you, you, you probably could take some notes tonight. Um, but don't feel like you have to take notes to grasp. What you want to understand is God got it right to get the Holy Spirit inside of you. And the Holy Spirit is the spirit of wisdom. It's the spirit of truth. It knows all things. It understands all things. It was in the beginning with God. It is God. It was there when everything was created. It was there when Jesus was crucified, when Jesus was raised from the dead. It was intimately involved. Right? Paul talked about the Holy Spirit interceding in our hearts, right? With groanings that can't be uttered. The Holy Spirit interceded in Jesus' heart on the cross. And so the Holy Spirit was there feeling what Jesus felt in his heart, knowing what he thought. We have the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit knows all things. Like Paul would come and say, We have the mind of Christ and we know all things. How many of you think you know all things in your intellect? You don't. In fact, we can even get frustrated with what we perceive to be our understanding and then to try to make ourselves feel better about our lack of understanding, we'll say things that sound really humble but are really full of pride and we'll say things like, well, we just can't understand till, you know, we go to heaven or until heaven and earth collide because we see through a glass darkly lit, right? And that's just how it is. But Paul wasn't saying that we're condemned to a life of seeing through a glass darkly lit. That's not what he was saying. In fact, he says, when I was a child, I saw through a glass darkly lit. He says, but now that I'm known, now that I know myself, even as I'm known, right? Now that I've become a man, he says, right? So the Holy Spirit is in you. The Holy Spirit understands all things. We're not striving to understand all things, but don't put yourself in a box and say, you can't understand. God can reveal anything to you. And as we're preaching the Spirit, just know that it isn't dependent upon your intellect to try and sort it all out. Okay? The Spirit is in you. And it's playing like catcher. You know, in the States we have baseball. And you have a pitcher and you have a catcher. So if someone like Phelan here is preaching the Spirit, and he is, he's preaching Spirit. His words are Spirit and life. He's like a pitcher, right? Throwing pitches. Well, you're not the catcher, actually. The Holy Spirit is the catcher, right? And, and you can just have your eyes popped open right now to know that the Holy Spirit is in you, catching things, ministering to your heart, right? And it could take you places and catch you up in things. And you, you want to learn to allow that to be present with you also. So yes, you can take notes, but if you miss something, don't feel like, well, I didn't get it all, right? The Holy Spirit has it all. And you, you can't come behind, right? The Holy Spirit will bring things to your um, remembrance, does that make any sense? Yeah. When I say, does that make any sense, I'm just trying to give people an opportunity to, to question um, if that's what you, you want it to do.
Let me just make sure this doesn't go to sleep on me. So we'll look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. For those of you that like to, to make notes, you can write those down if you want. You can go there. You can keep it and go back and look at some of these things so you can test what I say, right? So you can put it in the fire. Because I might say some things that are going to challenge your view of faith, right? <clears throat> Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. And this is Paul talking. And he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. The faith. A couple of things I'm just going to throw out there before we move on. That word faith there, it's a noun. It's not a verb. I'm going to say that again. That word faith there is a noun. It's not a verb. The word faith used in our New Testament Bible, probably 80% of the time, is a noun and not a verb. That means it's a person, place, or thing. And Paul even gives it a definite article, the faith. He says, I have kept the faith. Okay? If you look back in Romans chapter 1, Paul says he was given his apostleship to bring about obedience to the faith. Again, the faith. Okay, so there is something called faith, the faith, that has existed before any of us existed. Okay? Just like God existed before any of us existed. The Spirit existed before any of us existed. In fact, Paul talked about the Spirit of faith creating all things. Right? So there's something called the faith, faith, that existed before any of us existed or any of us could believe. Okay? So you want to... That's a challenging thing because the moment we think of faith, we immediately think of a verb and we think of an action that we are performing. And I talk to people about the dictionary we have in our hearts, right? We all have a dictionary already in our hearts. You guys have already decided what these words mean. And we don't realize the effect that has on our hearing and the meanings we read into the text without even considering, is that what the author was trying to say? Right? I remember when I started looking into this, I, I just assumed most every time the word faith was used, it was a verb. And it was talking most certainly about an action I performed. Right? And then the Lord started showing me something deeper. And it completely changed my relationship with faith. And what it did to my relationship with faith is faith, uh, I used to try to work faith. I used to try to work my faith. Well, what the Lord did was when He changed my view of faith, faith became something I beheld. And then faith started working me. You see, faith started working something inside of me. And even when you look at the the root word of faith, do you know what the root word of faith means? It means to persuade someone else that you're their friend. And so faith actually came. And there's actually a verse in the... These things are actually in the Bible. It's kind of shocking. I'm going to be talking like, what? They're all in the Bible. Paul talked about until faith came. Until faith came. Okay? Faith came to do something to all of us. And it didn't come to demand belief from us. What it came to do was persuade us of something that we might believe on that. Right? That it might call forth belief in us in something. Right? Paul also talked about for for people not to think more highly of themselves as they ought to think. Seeing that God has given to everyone The measure of faith. Okay? So, faith is not something you conjure up. 
Now, don't misunderstand me. Yes, we will do a work. And the only work there is for the Christian to do, I know we confuse the good deeds we could do with our works. That, no, there, there's one work you can do. And everybody's going to do a work. The work we engage when, with faith is what Paul called obedience. When he said obedience to the faith. He said, I've been given this apostleship so I could come declaring the faith in order that it might bring about obedience to the faith. Obedience would mean to allow yourself to be persuaded. Obedience would mean to allow yourself to be persuaded. Okay? That's the work that's talked about in the letter of James. That's the good deed you can do, that you'll be blessed in your deed. If you allow your heart to be persuaded by the faith that came in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be blessed in that deed because that faith will produce life in you. You see? You following me? So when the scriptures talk about doing the work, right? Whether you've done good or the bad deed, it's talking about have you allowed yourself to be persuaded or the, the bad deed or not doing the work is called disobedience, right? Disobedience means to harden your heart and to refuse to be persuaded by the faith. So this faith came to persuade you of something, to bring forth a belief in your heart in something. And you're either going to allow your heart to be persuaded or you're going to refuse to be persuaded. And so when we talk about the children of disobedience or when the Apostle Paul talks about the children of disobedience, he's talking about those who have refused to be persuaded by the faith that came in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? You following that? Does that make sense? And if you, if you wanted to say, what is it, when you look at that root word, faith, to persuade someone that you're their friend. Well, to put real simple terms to it, faith came in Jesus, the faith came in Jesus. What it came to do was to persuade us all that God is our friend. That's what it came to persuade you of. It came to persuade you that the Father is your friend, Right? And I don't know if you guys realize this, and I'm getting off track, but I just can't help myself, and we'll just go with it. I'm kind of scatterbrained. Forgive me. Um, we needed a friend. We, we needed a friend, right? Because we, we had a big problem, because we were being bullied and beaten and bruised by death, right? And, and I mean, I don't know if you guys have bullies here in Ireland, right? Well, there's, there's a problem with bullies in the United States, and they'll stick you in a locker. They'll steal your lunch money. They'll throw you in a garbage can. They'll beat you up. Well, that's what death was doing to us, right? And, and we needed a friend to stick up for us against the bully, right? Because we were beaten, beaten, bruised by death. Well, the way God come to persuade us that he's our friend is that within Jesus came a faith that God is with us to bully the bully because he bruised death, right? And that's what God prophesied of in Genesis when he told the serpent, the, the seed of woman will be born and you will bruise his heel and he will crush your head, right? And so faith came to persuade us that God's our friend. And the way it, it works to persuade us that God's our friend and that he's with us is that Jesus came into the earth to conquer death, right? The same death that were, was bruising us, which is what Luke says, right? The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, right? To uh, set the captives free. The deliverance to those who are being bruised, right? To the recovering of sight. What, what sight? The sight that God's with you to be your friend. 
Well, we, to, for him to show us he's our friend, he would have to conquer death, right? You guys tracking with this thing with faith? We're going to keep unwrapping it, right? It, because I promise you, we've all been taught things about faith. Most of us have come from a faith background. We don't despise our background, and we don't despise some of the things we've learned about faith, but we need to understand there's more clarity, right? Because faith is something you behold. And the way we've kind of been taught faith has left us in the place where we're believing in our own belief. That's wrong. Your faith cannot produce eternal life. The faith that came in Jesus Christ can produce eternal life. And we're left to either believe on that faith or refuse to believe on that faith. But we've been taught faith in a way, and we've used lots of things to try to make it sound right. We've taught faith in a way as if it's our faith. It's not our faith because it's been there from the beginning. Now, we believed on it now, all of us. So we've adopted it as our faith. But for it to be our faith, we would have to be the ones that worked it up. We would have to be the source of that faith. And we are not the source of that faith. Do you see? It's been presented to us. And we can either say, yeah, and grab a hold of it, or we can say, no. That's how we're involved in it. Okay, so I'm going to read what Paul says again. And really, I could get into a whole teaching about Ephesians 2 that would mess up most people's theology about Ephesians 2. And I know God messed up my theology, right? Um, But Ephesians 2, just to keep building on this thing with faith, to cause you to think differently. Ephesians 2 says that faith is a gift from God. It, It references grace and faith. And then it goes on to say, not of works, and it says a gift. Not of yourselves, it is a gift from God. Right, well, we've taken that word faith there. That word faith there is a noun. And we've turned it into my belief. Right? Now, we do believe, so we don't eliminate that. But there is a faith that's existed all time that has no beginning, it has no end. There's a faith that's full of grace. Okay? That faith that is full of grace has always existed. Right? That faith didn't come into existence when we believed on it. And so that faith has always been full of grace. And now God has given us or shown us the faith that is full of grace to save us as a gift. It goes on to say that for you are God's workmanship. Whose workmanship are you? Are you your own workmanship? Well, when we make that word faith there out to be our belief, then we're saying we're our own workmanship. And we're going to now create ourselves in the image of Christ Jesus. And it sounds subtle. But it's a big difference with how you start relating to faith, right? And faith is more, I promise you, when you get to the place where you see faith is something you behold, it brings forth like a, a, like a little kid that's curious. What's there? And you start looking at it and you start inquiring into it and it starts becoming unwrapped in your presence, right? And then that faith starts becoming more and more real in your midst and it starts animating you with more and more of the grace of God. But when you think faith is about your own belief, you're not opening up any more gifts. You're not beholding anything. You're busy working, struggling, trying to have faith, right? Your faith is not full of grace. The faith that was revealed in Jesus is full of grace. And you can believe on that faith. Do you see the subtle difference there? Ephesians 2 goes on to talk about that we were created to walk in good works. And we're so consumed with our own good works, right? That we think that's talking about how we're supposed to do good deeds. Now listen, 
we will find the fruit of the Spirit born in us. And we will do lots of things that we can say, glory to God, right? That's a beautiful thing. My, some people might think, this is Greg's walking in the good works of God. Look at him out there ministering, praying for the sick, people being delivered. Look how he's left and he's out on the road. Listen, man, that verse is not talking about me doing that. What he's talking about is how God ordained from the beginning that we would walk in his good work. In us walking in his good work, his faith would animate us with his grace. You see? Paul would also come and talk about this in, in Romans 1 where he says, He's not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. Jesus talking about faith. And this is a famous verse people would quote. I think it's Matthew 11. He didn't say have faith in God. He said have the faith of God. So there's a faith that's been in God from the beginning, the spirit of faith that actually helped create all things, that was actually made flesh in Jesus, that came to us so we could behold it, so that we could be persuaded by what it says, and that in us being persuaded by what it says, we would now be animated with the very life and strength of God himself as we walked in this earth, right? That's what it's talking about. You guys following me? What I'm saying, Adam, he was created after all the work was done. And what was left for him to do? To walk in God's good work. Yeah. Yeah. That was it. And then he would have been created, not just in the image of God, but according to the likeness of God's immortality. But Adam tried to walk in his own good work, right? And that left him not inheriting the immortality of God in his physical body. But it left him being clothed in a body of death. You see? So Paul says something amazing. I fought a good fight. He's not talking about he performed the ministry that was given to him. I know we try to read that in there, right? Especially in ministry circles, right? Because we're so, we're ministering, we're ministering, we're ministering. I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. He's not talking about how he performed everything God gave him to do, although he did. He, and then he defines what it meant that he fought the good fight and that he finished his course. He says, I've kept the faith. The faith. I've kept the faith. Now that word keep is very interesting because it sounds more like an active action, right? Like something he performed, right? But really that's describing something that's much more passive. It's talking about something that happened to him. And what you would even want to say is it's talking about something that kept him. Something that kept him. That word keep, do you know what it means? To watch, to observe. To be guarded by keeping one's eye on something. So there's something that can keep you, okay, as you walk in this earth. There's something that can guard you, that can keep you, that can strengthen you with the grace of God as you walk through this earth. And Paul's saying he lived his days in this earth having kept his eyes on the faith that could keep him. You see? So it's a life of beholding. It's not a life of you trying to believe. It's a life of you beholding the faith. It's a life of you hearing the faith. What did Paul say to the Galatians when they thought they could experience the fruit of God's life by the works of the law, by being circumcised in the flesh of their foreskin? He said, this only would I ask you, received you the Holy Spirit by the works of the law or the hearing of faith, right? And then he goes on to say, God, who performed miracles and ministered to you in your midst. How did he do that? By the hearing of faith. So Paul's saying, the way I finished my course, we all want to finish our course. 
right? Finishing our course for us looks like being kept by the faith all the days that we walk in the earth, right? It looks like us living our lives in the earth, beholding the faith. So our life of faith is not accurately described as our life of believing. Our life of faith is accurately described as beholding the Father with us, beholding the life of the Father with us, beholding the Father's life, the life the Father he has in himself that manifested in the resurrection, and beholding that life as our life as we walk in this earth. And as we behold the Father in his life with us, even in us, that will keep us. Right? And the way that it keeps us is it animates us with the grace of God. There is a strength contained in God's life. There is a grace contained in God's life. And that grace and that strength is not at the mercy of mortal flesh. It's not at the mercy of the weakness of our bodies. It's not at the mercy of the weakness in this world. It can actually overcome all those things in every situation. This is how Paul was kept as he lived through hell in this earth. You know, the Apostle Paul, if you read in the book of Acts, he gets stoned and left for dead. Stoned and left for dead. Well, you'd think that, like me, I feel, I feel real tired. I'm just going to be honest. I love to minister. I'm going to minister again tomorrow night, and nobody could keep me from it. I don't care how tired I feel, but I feel real tired. And so I could even feel, well, I need some rest after this. Imagine being stoned to the point of you're dead and laying on the ground. Okay? You think, you might think, let's take a time out. No, seriously. I mean, that, that's a reasonable thought, isn't it? Isn't it a reason? Nobody would, surely God wouldn't fault anybody for that. Surely no one would fault somebody for thinking, I'm going to take a time out and then I'll get back to it. I'm going to nurse my wounds. Well, when you read, when Paul went into Galatia, if you go and read the book of Acts, when he went into Galatia was right after he just got stoned and left for dead. And he got right back up, and that's when he went into the region of Galatia. That's why in the letter to Galatians, he talks about them not despising him for his appearance. You know, theologians like to postulate, well, he had an eye disease, right? And it was his thorn, you know? And so he had this eye disease. That's why he wrote big letters, because he also talks right, about writing a big letter. He didn't have no eye disease. He just got stoned to death. Do you know what you look like after you've been stoned and left for the dead? You ever seen the Rocky Balboa movies? After him and Apollo Creed fight? And Rocky's like, cut me, Mick. Cut me. That's what you look like after you've been stoned and left for dead. And it wasn't like, well, what happened to this guy? It was a clear sign that you were labeled a heretic and a blasphemer. And so it had been like a scarlet letter that Paul had on him. He went right down into Galatia and preached the gospel. And Paul says, you didn't despise me for my appearance, but you actually received what I had said as if I was sent by God. Right? Now, imagine this guy that gets right up and goes in there. Do you think that's human strength that caused him to do that? I promise you that's the grace of God. That's the very life of God that's not at the mercy of being stoned to death. That even if you take the life of God and stone it to death, it's getting right back up and it ain't feeling weak. Right? And so Paul was kept by this faith that he's talking about. And he was beholding this faith. And in him beholding this faith, this faith gave birth to grace in him. Right? This is what we're talking about. To be guarded by keeping one's eye on something. So we want to start shifting our thinking about faith is, is it something we behold, right? When Phelan preaches on Sunday, he's preaching the faith. What he's doing is he's like a master artiste from the Holy Spirit. 
And he's painting pictures of the faith that all of you all might behold it, right? So that it can work to persuade your heart and that it can animate your life with the very strength of God, which is what grace is. When Paul talked about remove this thorn, the thorn wasn't some physical ailment Paul had. I'm sure you guys already know this, but since someone might watch this video later, we'll just say the thorn was Judaizers. And he mentions it right before, that they were coming and upheaving all the, all the churches he was planting. Right? And he, he, he was overcome with the very grace of God. That's what animated him. Okay? So when Paul says... He fought a good fight. He finished his course. He kept the faith. He's saying, I lived all my days in this earth from the time I encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, the glorified man Jesus. I lived all my days on this earth beholding the faith that was revealed in Jesus. And that kept me. Right? That's what kept him. Now, we all of us say, grace is a person. Grace is a person. His name is Jesus. Faith is a person. Faith is a person. It's a noun. Person, place, or thing. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. There was a word that was made flesh in Jesus. It says grace and truth came by Jesus. The word faith in the Greek is a noun that means the gospel truth itself or the word that was made flesh in Jesus himself. That is the faith. That is faith. Right? So we got grace as a person, but we got faith is our belief. I promise you the easiest thing to get caught up and works with is actually your belief. That can even be a more diabolical thing than you trying to produce the fruit of the Spirit. You trying to work your faith to produce. That can be a life of laboring that far exceeds a life of trying to produce good, good works. Trying to work your belief. Trying to work your belief to produce life. Your belief didn't create all things. It's not your belief that created the universe. It's not your belief that called forth life out of the midst of darkness. In Genesis, Paul come and said, it's the spirit of faith. And then he goes on and says something magnificent. And now we, having the same spirit of faith given to us in the Lord Jesus that created all things, we are also calling people forth out of the darkness into the light. And the way we're doing it is we don't come and tell them they must believe. We come and declare the faith that was revealed in Jesus so that faith can also start working to persuade their heart that God is their friend. And can start working to persuade their heart that they're not orphans in this earth. That they haven't been left alone to care for their own life. But they have a good father in heaven whose good pleasure is to care for their life. He wants so badly to care for their life that he actually put on a physical body so that body could be broken. And in his body being broken, the life he has in himself could come pouring out on all flesh and pamper them and care for them. And so that's what we're preaching. But we're presenting to them the faith. The Father is our faith. The Father himself is our faith. And we will be strengthened with grace that's exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think, like our brother Paul being stoned and left for dead, and then getting back up and going into Galatia and preaching his brains out. You think the enemy wasn't in his ear? They're going to do the same thing to you there, man. You think he never had a thought that they could stone me in the next town? 
But you see, he had a life in him because he beheld the faith of Jesus Christ and he saw the faith that was in the Son of God when the Son of God laid down his life for him on the cross and he saw the faith that was in Jesus' heart on the cross produced an incorruptible life in the resurrection. Saw that the faith in Jesus' heart gave birth to a life that even overcame death in the flesh. And so when he hears the voice of the serpent telling him, take a break, man, don't go into the next town, he's beholding the faith that was revealed in the Son of God, which is this faith is precious, it's tried and it's true, it's been put in the fire, it's actually been put in the midst of death, and it swallowed that death. So go ahead and tell me in my ear how the next town might stone me, because there's a life in me that produces a grace and a strength that is not at the mercy of being stoned. I will go into the next town and be stoned, and I'll even go into the next one and be stoned. Right? But we turn in faith into what we are believed. I'm going to say this again so no one gets confused. We do believe. We do believe. But we're not the ones that produce the faith that we believe on. It's presented to us, and we either believe on it or we don't. Right? But that's a big difference. That's a big difference. It's subtle, but I'm telling you, it's the difference between a life of trying to work your own faith or a life of faith working you. Right? Faith came to do a work in you. I said faith came to do a work in you. Just like faith was released in Genesis to do a work. What work was it released to do? It was released to produce life in the earth. God released that same spirit of faith to call forth light in us, to call forth life in us. So faith came in the person of Jesus to fill you full of the love of God. It's actually the faith that produces the fruit of the Spirit. This is what James talks about in the beginning. Consider it all joy, brethren, when we encounter various trials and tribulations, knowing that the testing of this faith, right, will produce patience. So what it's saying is, is this faith, if you come and squeeze this faith with hard times, that faith will produce patience. It's like a turnip, right? Well, you have a funny saying in the States when people try to get money out of you if you don't have it. You can't get blood out of a turnip. Uh-huh. Right? We also say that if you squeeze, you'll find out what's in something because you squeeze it, and when you squeeze it, what's in it comes out. This faith that we're busy with, all of us, when you squeeze it, do you know what comes out? Grace. When you squeeze it, do you know what comes out? Peace, love, joy, patience. We're so afraid for us to be squeezed. But there's a faith in us when you squeeze it, it actually fills us with strength. Right? But we, we're not seeing any of that because every time we read the word faith, we're busy thinking about our belief. Right? Instead of the faith of God. You guys following that? So Paul says in, in, in Galatians chapter 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. He's actually saying the way he was crucified with Christ, he's not just talking about a mystical thing. We were all there, but he's talking about something else. He's talking about the Lord Jesus on the cross when he was being crucified, that there was a faith in him. And Paul says the way that I'm crucified with him is by beholding that faith and partaking with him in the faith that was in his heart as he was being crucified. 
And he says, what that does is it animates me with Christ. It animates me with the life that raised Jesus from the dead. Because the faith that produced resurrection life was revealed in Jesus on the cross. That's what he's saying. Right? When he says it's Christ who lives in me, we got bobblehead dolls in the United States. Do y'all have those little bobblehead dolls? It's not a little Jesus bobblehead that's living in you. It's not. Right? It's, he says Christ. It's no longer I who live. What he's saying is the power, the strength behind my life is no longer me. It's no longer mortal flesh. It's no longer the power in my own hand or the strength in my own hand or even the strength in the things in the world that I can gain or that I had already. He's saying the power behind my life, the strength behind my life is the life that manifested in Christ when he was raised from the dead. That's what he's saying. Now, you can't, you can't have the resurrection life of Jesus animating you daily unless you're beholding the faith that was in him when he was nailed to a cross, the same faith that raised him up from the dead. The faith of the Son of God. The faith revealed in the Son of God. He says, I live now by the faith that was revealed in the Son of God. Because I see there was a faith in his heart. When he was nailed to a tree and he needed to be justified and he needed to be proved and he needed life, he needed to be clothed in life, he needed peace and love and joy. I see there was a faith in his heart that justified him with the very life of God. And so now I'm living by that same faith and what it's doing to me is it's justifying me with life. It's producing the very life of God in me as I walk in this world. Therefore, I'm no longer the power behind my life when I walk in this world. It's God himself that is the power behind my life. And brothers and sisters, if we have the Holy Spirit, if we have eternal life, then let us be experiencing that day by day. Let us not just say, well, we have it, glory to God, and well, one day, you know, And it's not like there's something wrong with us. It's that we haven't been taught faith like Paul saw faith. We've been taught it a different way. So we haven't even had the opportunity to consider what is this faith that I behold? We haven't even been caught up in this glorious conversation with the Father. What is this faith, Father? Yeah, because we'll be pointed to ourselves. Yes, yes, right. And so we haven't even had a chance yet just to sit. Jesus said one thing is needful. Sit at the feet of him. He's talking about sit at the feet of faith. Behold the faith. That faith will do something to you. It will produce the life of God in you. How do we know? Because we see what it did in Jesus. That's how we know. That's why Paul come and said in, in 1 Corinthians 15 that our faith is, we know that our faith isn't vain because Jesus was raised from the dead. What faith? Well, we started 1 Corinthians chapter 1 by saying Christ, both the power and the wisdom of God. The wisdom that can produce the power of God's life in you, Christ crucified. We know that wisdom is full of power because we saw what it did in my man Jesus. Right? Now, what was Jesus beholding on the cross, though? What was his faith? The Father. The Father was his faith. He was beholding the Father. Right? He wasn't thinking, I must believe. He wasn't thinking, I need to try to produce faith. He was beholding the Father. Right? The Father was his faith. Have the faith of God. You know, when Paul, I just want to unwrap Paul's theology for you guys because we don't even stop and think what gave birth to his thinking. We don't even track with it. And then we come up with all of our own modern day traditions. 
right? And we, we, so we have gotten closer over the years. We can just be honest. We have, really, right? I mean, for me, we start off Catholic first, right? And there's nothing wrong with being Catholic. We actually had an encounter with the Holy Spirit being Catholic. I know a lot of Catholic priests that really know the Lord, right? And they're undercover, right? But you can go talk to those dudes. They really know the Lord, right? So I'm not down on Catholic. But he, the, the priest had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, and then we all had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, right? And then we moved into more of like a charismatic type of thing, right? Where we, we find out there is such a thing as the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit's in me. Now we're in the vein of the gifts of the Spirit, right? And we're thinking that's the thing, right? Well, then we come out of that and we start realizing there's a faith that's full of power, only we're calling it our faith. And we're not seeing what it really is. And now we're in this phase where we're trying to work our faith. But th- I want to tell you where Paul's theology was born, okay? Because Paul was Saul. And he encountered somebody on the road to Damascus. He encountered the glorified man, Jesus. Now, we just gloss over these stories sometimes because we don't stop and think with the Lord. There's a beautiful richness in these scriptures. There's a depth. There's something there to stop and contemplate with the Holy Spirit. If you like reading the scriptures, you can stop and talk to the Holy Spirit and say, I know that there's a depth and a richness here, and I know that you're in me. And I desire to see what you have imparted here, not what my natural eyes can read in letters. Okay? So when Paul encountered the glorified man Jesus, this was a earth-shattering experience for Paul. I think most people agree with that. But do you know why it was an earth-shattering experience for Paul? Because he had a previous reference point for Jesus. Do you know what his previous reference point for Jesus was? Stripped naked, full of weakness, full of sin, full of death, dead on a cross. That was his previous reference point for Jesus. Okay? Well, now all of a sudden, that guy, that that's how he last saw him and heard of him, now he sees that guy glorified with the immortality of God. He sees that death and sin having been overcome in that dude's body. That dude ain't on a cross no more. That dude ain't naked no more. That dude has been glorified and clothed with the very immortality of God. Now, listen, Paul was a thinker. And so he wasn't just like, oh, glory to God. He started thinking. And the Holy Spirit started ministering to him. How did that happen? Because you got to understand, Paul, even though his heart didn't understand what he was seeking or how he could find it, Paul was actually always wanting to know God. And he didn't know what he was really after because he thought the the works of the law could give him what he was after. He thought the blessed life was contained in the corruptible things of the earth. He hadn't really fathomed that God intended for mankind to be the temple of God. That God intended to actually indwell mankind with his immortality. The very presence, the life and fire of God that manifested in the earthly temple. He couldn't imagine that. And now he sees Jesus having inherited all of God himself. And Paul sees the end of everything he ever wanted. If this guy inherited that, how did he do it? How did it happen? Well, now he starts thinking back to when Jesus was nailed to a cross. Well, Paul thought it was by your own good works. But he has a problem now because Jesus' hands are nailed to a tree and he couldn't do anything. And so he's thinking, what was the last thing that came out of Jesus before this happened to him? He says, he cried out, Abba, into your hands I commit my life. That's what Paul would call the faith of the Son of God. Once he saw that, he began living his life by that faith, right? 
where he began looking to Abba and talking with Abba and seeing the life that's in Abba and seeing how Abba has stretched forth his hand to give him that life as a gift. Seeing that Abba has braided himself together with Paul to manifest his life in Paul and understanding that life that's in Abba actually possesses all things, has all things, right? Receives all things. And he began fellowshipping with Abba nonstop for life, right? And fellowshipping with Abba about this life. It's the life of God that's filled with grace. It's His life that's filled with strength. Right? You guys following this about Paul? That's what the faith of the Son of God is. So we're not believing on our own faith. And when you say it like that, you realize how ridiculous that is. Right? We're not believing on our own faith. Right? We're believing on there's a faith that came in Jesus Christ And we're persuaded by that faith that life is found in the Father's good work to give it to us as a gift, right? That's what we're persuaded of and not in the works of our own hands. That's why Paul said we're not justified by the works of the law, but we're justified by the faith of Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ. That's what It's called the justification of life. Do you know why life justifies you? Because it proves that you are the son or daughter of God. Right? God comes and proves that you're His by giving you His life. Nobody can tell you you're not His if you have His life. (laughs) Do you see what I'm saying? That justifies you from every accusation in the earth. In fact, that will keep your heart. The life of God will keep your heart. We talk about guarding your heart. Again, it's a passive action in the Hebrew. You don't guard your heart. You believe on the life or you behold your life in the Father and that guards your heart. It keeps you from the voice of the stranger. It keeps you from the strange woman in the book of Proverbs. Because when that voice comes to you and tries to tell you you don't have something you need for life, all of a sudden you see your life in the Father and you see there's no lack in the Father's life. Therefore, there's no lack in the life that I have. So you can't convince me I need to do anything to get something. My life is a life that is so much that it even swallows all lack. None of us would have ever been deceived about how we got to give money to be blessed by God if we actually believed we already inherited all of God. See, that's how it would have kept our heart. God, who gave us all things freely in Jesus, He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, not in the things in this world, but in the life of Jesus. And if you really are looking at that faith and beholding that life that's in the Father and beholding His life is my life, every time somebody tried to come and convince you that you didn't have something you need, it would sound like nonsense. In the moment you could feel tempted by the evil one when you encounter tribulation, because tribulation can try and speak a loud word telling you you don't have something you need. You think the death of the cross was trying to tell Jesus he didn't have something he needed? I promise you it was. But his heart was kept by the life that he shared with the Father from the beginning. Right? And he come to give us that life. So we could be like the, the guy in Psalm 23. The Father is my shepherd. I do not lack. Things weren't going well for that guy when he said that. Go read Psalm 22. The same guy that says, the Father is my shepherd, I do not lack, is the same guy describing the bulls of Bashan, circling him around, encompassing him, mocking him, spitting on him, gaping on him, pulling his bones out of joint. That's the same guy that says, I don't lack. Now the Father challenged me with that. And I was just honest. I said, I don't understand that. Because I've been taught by the world... That you lack in a whole lot. 
And I just got to be honest, that guy that says I don't lack, the Father is my shepherd, that's the Lord Jesus on the cross. Peter come and said in his letter that Jesus looked to the shepherd and bishop of his soul when he was on the cross. Now that really messed me up. And just be honest with God. He's not expecting you to think, okay, I'm not supposed to lack. Again, that's you trying to fall back on your own belief. He's not trying to tell you, you need to believe you don't lack. What he's telling you is there's a faith that will produce something in you where you'll say that you don't lack even should somebody nail you to a tree. Because even should you be nailed to a tree, you'll see the Father there with you and you'll see his life, a life that even swallows death in the flesh. How can you lack anything? Yea, though I walk through a valley shadowed by death. It's not going good for the dude that says he doesn't lack. I told God, that don't make no sense to me. And I'm just blunt with God, like he's my friend from the streets where we grew up. I don't understand how that dude could say he don't lack while he's nailed to a tree. That's what I told God. I said, but I know enough about this faith already to know that Jesus said there's one who's good. You guys remember when Jesus said there's one who's good? He also said he didn't come to declare himself. He came to declare the Father. And when he says there's, there's one who's good and it's the Father, well, what he's trying to say is every good thing you see coming out of me has actually come from the Father. Because I'm sitting here beholding the Father. And that has given birth to something in me. Right? And so I knew enough about Jesus on the cross. If he didn't feel lack even when he was nailed to a cross, that means the Father's the one that produced it in him. And so I started saying, well, if the Father can produce it in Jesus, then he can produce it in me. Amen. And you, be, you become like the guy with the son. I believe, Lord, help thou my unbelief. Because I believe you can do it, but I don't understand. My carnal mind is not understanding that. That looks like all lack. And then what happens is, is you, you, the thing becomes born in you, like Jesus said. Now is the hour, now is the time, speaking of the cross. The prince of this world will come to me, but he won't have anything in me. Do you know why? He couldn't convince Jesus he lacked anything. He couldn't convince Jesus that he didn't have everything that pertained to life and godliness. Jesus knew that the death in the world could never be a sign that he didn't have what he needed for life and godliness because the Father would be there with him. He says that in John. But I won't be alone. The Father will be with me. He says that in Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through a valley shadowed by death, I will fear no evil. That word fear there doesn't just mean to be afraid. That would be like the fruit of what that word means. That word fear there means to revere something or stand in awe of something or for something to be lifted up in your sight or in your heart. So even though I'm in a valley shadowed by death, the Lord Jesus, even though he was in a valley shadowed by death, can we all agree that that valley that where he was hanging on a cross was shadowed by death? Well, that death wasn't lifted up in his heart. He didn't, exactly. Hebrews come and said that the death was disesteemed in his heart. Why was it disesteemed in his heart? Because of the glory that was set before him. That's the same thing Psalm 23 says. This death is not lifted up in my heart. For what? You are with me, Lord. You prepare a table for me in the midst of my enemies. Meaning you prepared a table that's full of life even in the midst of this death. In that table of life you've prepared for me, it comforts me. It has shrunk the death of this cross in my heart, and it has caused my heart to count this death on this cross as a light affliction. That's the same thing the Apostle Paul comes and says in Romans 8, where he says, for this light affliction, in comparison to the glory that is going to be revealed in us. 
that glory, this life that I'm beholding in the Father, that the Father is with me, that he's with me to shepherd my life, that none of the things in this world could ever be a sign that I'm a lamb being led away to the slaughter because I see the Father has drawn near to me and condemned the death that's trying to tell me I don't have a good shepherd in the body of Jesus' resurrection, right? And that has shrunk. Well, how do you think Paul could say this light affliction? He wasn't trying to be spiritual. It wasn't like, well, this is what I should say. I mean, I just got to be honest. I read those verses for years, and you feel real strong like that. I'm more than a conqueror until the metal meets the road. And then, I'll, where's God? Where's God? Because we haven't been taught to behold the faith. And I promise you what will happen is when tribulation comes knocking on your door, you'll, you'll see the faith, and it will start ministering to you. Right? It will start filling your heart with abundance even in the midst of what looks like all lack. It will swallow the effect of lack in your heart. Right? And it, you'll even have a tree of life in your heart, even as you're surrounded by darkness. And then you become a sign and a wonder. And you confound the wisdom of the world because you don't look strong, you don't look noble, you don't look wise, yet what's coming out of you is a supernatural life and grace. Right? I mean, that's what produced love in Jesus on the cross. He even loved his enemy. He didn't do that because it was written somewhere on a wall. You shall love your enemy. <laughs> he wasn't trying to love his enemy. He, he wasn't using his willpower. There was something born in him on account of beholding the faith, the life that he shared with the Father, the life that was in the Father. In the Father is life. And the Father has given that I would have this life in myself. And somehow we get Jesus on the cross and all of a sudden he no longer has the life in himself that he says the Father gave him, except he is the life born in the flesh. So at what point did he shed the life? Because he is the life. Yes. I am the resurrection and the life. Yes. Yes. He is the word of eternal life. I promise you if he stopped being the word of eternal life on the cross, none of this exists anymore. He's the one holding everything together. Right. We all cease to be. And I understand, man, this could challenge a lot of our thinking. The Lord challenged all my thinking, all of it. It didn't feel good for a lot of years. I lost all my friends, all my friends in Bible college. All my friends everywhere rejected me. I thought there would be great excitement. Hallelujah. No, this challenges the system. You, you're going to be cast out, and we're going to label you all these false names so that no one else will want to listen. And I don't blame them for that because I understand Right? They're not malicious in what they're trying to do. People aren't malicious when they reject you. Right? It's fear. I know what it's like to be full of fear. But I tell you what, God come and told me I'd already been to Bible college. I already thought I knew something. I think it was a good Bible college. Right? I think it introduced me to a lot of great things. He come and told me after I did all that, take everything you think you know and throw it in the garbage. He says, because I'm going to try and show you something and you ain't going to see it unless you throw everything in the garbage. And that was a long, painful process for me because I lost everything. But I realized, there's a, there's a singer called Janis Joplin. Do y'all know who she is? Freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. And what I realized is you can't really preach the gospel unadulterated unless you've already lost everything and you count it as gain. If you think you got something to lose, you'll never go all the way. Because you'll be thinking of what you can lose. I lost everything and I counted as gain. That I might gain. Yeah. 
Christ Jesus. The excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. Paul counted everything as dung for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. He lost everything. He lost everything. And he had a lot. He was a Roman and a Jewish citizen. He grew up in a prominent family. He was well-taught and well-educated just in a worldly sense. Then he goes off in the Pharisaical system, and he's learning under Gamaliel. And he's, he's got clout. He's recognized, even to the Romans. Count it all as dung. He become like my man Moses, that it says he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater than the riches that he had in Egypt. He could have been Pharaoh. And he esteemed esteemed the reproach of Christ. (laughs) It's greater. Right? Because he saw him who was invisible. You guys following this? It seems so long since I talked about faith, really. Right, guys? Like this. It's like seven years ago now I preached a series about faith. Faith came to perform a work in you. Right? And it, it, it just changed my whole life. And I promise you, faith will start producing something in you if you can be sat still and start beholding. And even, you don't even have to know. what ex- You could start asking God. Yeah. I believe that faith came. Yeah. I believe faith was made flesh in Jesus. You could even say that. Faith was made flesh in Jesus. Right? And you could start asking, Lord, yes, Jesus is a man, but there's a word, there's a faith, there's a wisdom, there's a truth that's being revealed in his resurrection, in his death on the cross. What is that word? You're talking to me. I want to hear it. I want to sit at your feet and I want to hear that faith. Right? I want to be busy with that. And Hebrews come and says that Jesus is the beginning and end of faith. Faith. It says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. That word faith there is a noun. It's not a verb. It's not saying your belief is the substance of things hoped for. Your belief is the evidence of things not seen. The very next chapter tells you Jesus is the faith. Jesus is the substance of things hoped for. Jesus is the evidence of things not yet seen. And now you live beholding that faith in the man Jesus. Right? And you see, in Jesus, the substance of the life you've always desired. Because you've always wanted a perfect life. You've always wanted a life that was kept from the destruction and the tribulation in the world. You've always wanted a life that could be kept from harm. You always wanted a life that would overcome everything in this world. Why do you think we feel so hurt when we think something happens in this world that can take our life? Or take something from us, some good thing? And so we were all the time desiring a life, a perfect life an incorruptible life. The scripture come and said that God put eternity in our hearts. Paul described that as in him we live and move and have our being. That he has set forth our habitations, meaning he put eternity in our hearts, which is he put a desire in our hearts for the likeness of the Father's immortality. That we might seek after life in him. If happily, we might find it. Delight yourself in the Lord and he shall satisfy your desire. That's not talking about cars and husbands and wives and children and money and ministries. It's talking about you desiring the very life and likeness of God. And that delight means look to God as the source of the life you've always been desiring and you will find your heart satisfied. Now Hebrews comes and says, the substance of everything we've ever been longing for has been revealed in Jesus when he came out of the grave and glorified immortal flesh that can never taste weakness or be touched by sin and death again. 
And it's the evidence, as John would say, Beloved, now are we the sons and daughters of God. Even though it's not yet seen what we shall be, we know, right, that as he is now, so are we in this world. So what we see in Jesus is the evidence that even though we don't see our bodies glorified yet, even though we could see tribulation in the earth trying to tell us we don't have that life, he's the evidence that that life is dwelling in us now and we possess it now. Amen. Right? You see? But we haven't been looking at the faith. We've been looking at our faith. Yes. And we've been trying to work our faith yeah. to produce good, yeah. to try to produce good that we think can convince us we have life. Yeah. It's corrupt. It's called lust. Yeah. I just want to call it like it is, and I'm not despising any of us. I did it more than anyone. No one lusted after satisfaction by working their faith more than me. Yeah. I'm the chief of that kind of a sinner. I could start a support group. My name's Greg. <laughs> and I... I've tried to work my faith more than anyone. <laughs> right? And the thing that can be deceiving is we are the image of God. We actually possess the ability to manipulate our design to produce some things. We actually can. Because we are the image of God. I know, I did. You guys following this? 1 Corinthians 15.10 and I might just stop with this, right? Because mm. I don't know how long I talk, but maybe it's a long time. <laughs> I get going and time stands still. Yeah. This is 1 Corinthians, I think it's 1 Corinthians 15.10. I might have wrote down the wrong reference, so if I'm wrong, you'll, you'll realize in a second you could tell me. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Right? So, so many times we can think of laboring instead of the grace that does the laboring. Mm. Yes. Paul says it's the grace that did the laboring in him. Yeah. He didn't do the laboring. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Now, what caused this grace to labor in him? Beholding, Beholding the faith that was revealed in oh. Jesus Christ. Right. I think most every believer, if we talked about Paul, would think, if only... I could experience what Paul experienced. Well, we haven't been busy with the Gospel of Paul. We have in some slivers, but it's still being unveiled in the earth. From The apostles knew from the time they were going to be martyred that immediately the message was going to become tainted. It was immediately going to start being watered down. And over the centuries, what has happened is more of the traditions of man have come in and we've had the faith shaped more by denominational beliefs, more by people who aren't the apostles. Do you realize our current Christian theology is born more from Augustine and Calvin than it is the apostle Paul? Augustine is not an apostle. Calvin is not an apostle. We should not be following their doctrine. And we base almost all of our theology off those guys. Can you say a few words, Greg, about then the importance of how we present the gospel and how it points to the revelation of the Father rather than pointing to us? Yeah, I, I, I think this messes up everybody's theology. I think we've taken on a theology, and I understand why we have, but it's like we tell people that God isn't their Father until they believe. Right? Well, you can't believe that God's your father unless he first reveals himself to you as your father. Right? 
And so the gospel isn't about how God can become your father. You must first be presented with the truth before you can actually believe it. <laughs> and we put the onus on people trying to drum up the faith themselves. And I always ask people, and they still get upset. They can't argue with me, but then they still want to reject it. What came first? Did God call Abraham the father of many nations first, or did Abraham believe first? He called him first. God called him the father of many nations. First. And then Abraham believed. So God presented him with something, and then Abraham could believe. God doesn't come and tell you, if you believe, then you can be his child. If you believe, then he can be your father. He comes and calls you his own. I don't know if you realize this. You can't actually have an inheritance in God unless he is your father. So how can we tell people to come to eat from the tree of life if their inheritance isn't in the father? And so we first come and tell people, you're not an orphan. You were never an orphan. You were never left alone in the earth. You've always had a good father, and it's always been his good pleasure to be with you. He's not ashamed to call you his own. He's with you to care for your life. And now you're declaring to them that they belong to somebody. And now you've actually hit them with the proper gospel, and they can sit and do the one work that needs to be done. Either allow themselves to be persuaded and grab a hold of the Lord Jesus, which is what it means to receive the Lord Jesus, lambano the Lord Jesus, or you could refuse to be persuaded it says Jesus is the light that lights up those who believe no he's the light that lights up all people what is the light that he lights them up with that you're not an orphan you have a father whose good pleasure is to care for your life and now you see right and it says to those who grab a hold of that truth that the Father is with them, that they're not an orphan. Those who grab a hold of that truth receive strength to appear in history as the sons of God. There's something standing against us appearing as the sons and daughters of God. It ain't God. It's Satan. It's Satan who said to Jesus, if you are the son of God, meaning you ain't. So there's something in this world standing against us as the children of God, just as Goliath was standing against the Israelites, telling them you're not the people of God. If you are the people of God, send somebody out. Right? So God's got to get it right to strengthen us so that we can appear as the sons of God. We even talk about the spirit of faith that says God calls those things that aren't what they are so they might be. So he comes and calls us his children. He comes and calls us his own. He comes and declares that he's our father. He comes and calls what doesn't look like what it is, what it is. So in him releasing his word, telling them that's what they are, they can grab a hold of that word and that word can cause them to appear as what he's called them. But I'll be labeled a heretic in almost every grace circle for saying that. And it's just the truth. And that's what you see in Abraham, the father of faith. I was thinking about Gideon when you were preaching, you know, because he came to Gideon, he was standing in a hole and had nothing and consumed with the lack, and he said, the one whom the Lord is with, yeah. you know, he just presented, this is a fact, yeah. he's not asking you to believe it, I'm just right. presenting you with a fact, yeah. <laughs> but the presentation of that fact actually imparted, yeah. you know, praise God, the grace to, to, to believe. Th that's right. Yeah, yeah. Call upon the name of the Lord. Yes. Do, you know what the, the, do you know what that phrase, call upon the name of the Lord, means in Greek? To allow yourself to be surnamed by another. Do you know what it means to be surnamed? That means someone came and called you their own. And you're allowing them to place their name behind your name. 
So when you call upon the name of the Lord, you're calling God Father. The reason why you would call Him Father is because you see that He's revealed Himself to be your Father. Yes. Right? Isn't that what He did with Sarah and Abraham? Absolutely. Yeah. We've, 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 even though we've, we've, we've moved away in, in many of the grace circles, and I thank God for all the grace circles. I'm not against anyone. I'm for all people in every circle of life. But we've moved out of looking at performing the works of the law, but we've left ourselves in the place where we're making people perform faith as a work instead of faith as a presentation, a gift from God. And then they're left with the opportunity to either refuse it or grab a hold of it. That's obedience and disobedience, right? That's what, but we haven't even left them with that simple option, right? You don't come telling them they must believe. You come declaring the faith. And then they're left with, will I be persuaded or won't I? Right? Right. That's right. We don't. I was thinking about, Greg, about the gospel as the power of God unto salvation. Yeah. Is that similar to what you're talking about? Yes, absolutely. It's the power of God. It's a declaration. It's a declaration of a truth that will bring forth life in people. And the way it would bring forth life in people is you would declare that God's with you to be the father of your life. And that person would cry out, Abba. And then they'd be saved from the death in the world. Just like Jesus was. Jesus, it says in Hebrews, says he cried out to the one who could save him. You don't cry out to somebody that you don't think is there. <laughs> right? And... Jesus manifested God in the midst of our darkness so that we could see He was there. Because the darkness kept telling us He wasn't here. And that we're orphans. And that we're left alone in the cold, heartless, little world. With no one to love us. We used to say that in in grade school. I just want to be loved. Is that so wrong? (laughs) The darkness in the earth convinced us we weren't loved. It convinced us we were alone. That left us living as orphans trying to care for our own life. The more we tried to care for our own life, do you know what came out of us? The works of the flesh, the fruit of death, right? And so God says the way these guys will stop working to care for their own life is if they can see they have a father whose good pleasure is to care for their life. Then he came and manifested himself in the Lord Jesus. That's why it says the word was made flesh. And we beheld the glory of the father. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Yeah. Right. Praise God. Beautiful. Yes. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Greg. Any Thank questions? you, guys. Praise the Lord. Anybody saved here tonight? Yeah. Praise the Lord. Mm. Will we get to listen to this again? Yeah, I'll upload that. Do y'all want me to keep this private, or do you want me to put it on? The, I could no, give it to all of you all, or I could put it on the YouTube no, channel. It's up to you all. Yeah, you can use it. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. You can stop that if you want.